and Merry Christmas to you guys. This is um, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, just so many things to, to look back on. It's a chance to look back, and also a time to uh, to look forward uh, as well. But um, you know, this year I think I can speak for my whole family. This year has been especially special for us because it's our first Christmas uh, with you guys, and we feel just blessed beyond measure to be with you guys uh, this year and and for many more to come. We love you guys, and we are so, so uh, blessed to be here. Uh, But also, you know, it's it's my favorite time of the year because it also brings back memories of when my kids were a little bit smaller. And, you know, there's there's something special about watching small kids open presents. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody, you know, have you spent a lot of time around small kids, anybody? If you haven't been around small kids, you used to be one. Um, so, 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 yeah, it, it's, it's a special time of year for all little kids, um, and, and most of us have been around small kids as well. Um, and, and when I think about small kids, when, you know, it, when, I, when I brainstorm on that, I think of two games that uh, every kid probably plays. I think this, these are universal games. I know my kids used to play them. Sometimes they still do just to raise my blood pressure. Um, one of those games is the why game. Does anybody know how the why game works? Yeah, one, one hand, okay, a few hands go up. Yeah, it, it goes something like this. You know, the parent says, um, you, know, you need to go clean your room. And the, the child says, why? Because you made a mess of your room. Why? Because you're messy. Why? And, and it goes, you know, on and on and on like that. And you, I mean, you can ask why questions forever, right? Uh, I think that's one question um, that a lot of, or one, one game that a lot of kids play. But really, it's a trick. Because they're not really looking for answers. They're just messing with your mind and they're trying to raise your blood pressure. Um, but we figure that much out when, you know, the child just keeps asking why, why, why. You get the point. This is the first game that I think every child, probably universally, I think you probably find this in a lot of different cultures. The second game that kids like to play is the what-if game. Uh, you, you guys know the what-if the what if game? Yeah, everybody knows the what-if game, especially if you've been around kids. Uh, this one's a little bit more serious. It's when a, a child starts figuring out the world around them, they start figuring out that there are consequences for their actions, right? For, for every, uh, everything they do, there, there's usually some kind of, of consequence. And so they start wondering what the consequences would be for, for hypothetical scenarios. For example, they'll say, Mommy, um, what if all animals could talk? What if? I don't know. Uh, Daddy, what if, what if the streets were made out of chocolate? Uh, it's a really important question, right? I mean, th- those are important questions that we, that we should have answers to. Um, so this game really is more about kids trying to figure out the world around them. It's, it's more about that than it is about trying to raise your blood pressure, parents. Uh, now, some of you are, are probably sitting there thinking, oh, wait a minute. He, uh, he kind of slammed me there because he said that's a game that kids play, and, and I do that all the time. Um, <laughs> Bear with me here. Uh, it actually is something that we all do all the time, right? I mean, um, that's part of the decision-making process, and we are making hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions every single day. Uh, as we get older, it becomes less about curiosity and more about just making good decisions, unless you just want to be obnoxious, in which case, you know, you pretend to be curious. Um, and this part of the decision-making process actually inspired one of the most famous lyrics of all times. Should I stay or should I go? What if I stay? There will be trouble. What if I go? 
There will be double. And, and so the song goes. Famous lyrics inspired by this game. Deep philosophical questions here, I know. Um, there was actually a book written back in the 1930s, I believe, maybe the 1920s, uh, playing this game of what if, this game of hypothetical scenarios. Uh, but this was done by a group of adults. It was done by a group of scholars. Uh, they got together and they did a big group think uh, Posture, you know, uh, trying to come up with answers to questions like, um, what if the Dutch had kept New Amsterdam? Or what if General Lee had won at Gettysburg? Uh, I mean, these are actually really good questions. I mean, you can only imagine, we can speculate, spend all day speculating on how different the world would be if just a couple different outcomes had occurred throughout history. I mean, what if the Revolutionary War had been won by the British? Jamie wouldn't have been asked this question about Paul Revere, that's for sure, right, Jamie? Um, <laughs> questions like that. I mean, you could go on forever thinking about stuff like this, and we can only guess how different our world would be today if there was only different outcomes in, in a couple wars throughout history. But I want to focus our attention today on one question that maybe we haven't spent enough time really thinking about, really stopping to consider, and that's this. What if there was no Christmas to celebrate? What if there was no first Christmas? What if there was no birth of Christ? Now, for some of you, uh, probably the younger ones, I'm guessing, your, your first response is going to be, what if? Well, we wouldn't be able to give presents. We wouldn't have presents. That would be awful, right? Right, kids? I, I know that you guys are thinking, well, I'm not going to, uh, yeah. But... Yeah, we would find an excuse to give gifts no matter what. Even if there was no Christmas, uh, we just love giving uh, and getting things enough that I'm pretty sure that we would um, come up with an excuse to give gifts. Or maybe some of you are thinking, well, if there was no Christmas, we wouldn't have, uh, we wouldn't have all these trees. We, we wouldn't have a global warming problem uh, if there was no Christmas because we'd be able to save all these trees. Now, just to set the record straight on that, uh, Christmas trees are grown on Christmas tree farms. And if there was no demand for Christmas trees, they'd just farm something else. So no, that's not, that's not an outcome of, uh, of not having Christmas either, a possible outcome of not having Christmas either. But the question that I'm asking is really to be asked from a, a practical perspective. I'm, I'm asking it from a biblical and historical perspective. What if Jesus had never been born. And actually, that's not something, um, as we're going to see today, that's not something that we even have to speculate on. It's not something that we have to guess about because the answers are actually in the Word of God. You see, from the earliest thinkers in human, in human history, the questions that we've been asking from the beginning are things like, who are we? Why are we here? How did we get here? I want to know about the world around me, and I want to know about myself. And these are the questions that philosophers have asked for centuries and centuries, thousands and thousands of years, and I think they're representative of humanity in general. These are questions that we've probably all asked at one time or another, in one way or another, and these reveal, these questions reveal this deep, deep longing inside of us, a, a desire to know and, and to be known and to love and to be loved. The first chapter of Romans reveals the apparent nature of God, meaning he is apparent to everybody. It tells us that God is the answer to questions like these, ultimately. Ultimately, you can trace every answer like that back to God. But that answer doesn't appeal to humanity because there's this, this darkness 
that's inside of us. This, this rebellion in us that causes us to desire to worship creation rather than the creator. So the question really boils down to, who is God? And why did God do this? For some, they're, they're satisfied to believe that, that God is an, an animal or, or some kind of creature. Uh, but the truth is, uh, he, he's not. Some would say he's a stone or a piece of wood. He's not. He's not something that's created. He is the creator. For some others, they, they just prefer to worship themselves. They say there, there is no higher force in the universe besides me. But the truth is that none of these answers will fill the vacuum that God created in the hearts of humanity, a space that only he is big enough to fill. There's this standard plot that we find in, in movies and plays and, and theater in which a person has a secret admirer who, who showers the person that they, that they you know, have a crush on or that they love with affection through gifts and surprises, all the while keeping their identity concealed. Uh, in, in the Spider-Man movies, Peter Parker uh, is secretly in love with Mary Jane Watson, and so he, he watches her, he protects her wherever she goes, because he's, he's in love with her. He, he loves this girl, uh, but his, his identity remains a mystery. Um, in in the, the Superman saga, Clark Kent is secretly in love with Lois Lane, and so he watches and protects over her as well. In both cases, the woman is longing to discover the identity of her secret admirer, these, these men who, who are concealing their identity. And similarly, there's this deep, desire in us. There's this longing that's in us, in humanity's hearts, to know and to be loved by the creator of the universe. God answered that longing by sending his only son to be like one of us, to hurt like we do, to feel like we do, to be tempted like we are, to be just like us, and at the same time, to reveal the nature of God and the character of God through Jesus. So Christmas is really about God revealing himself through his son, Jesus. That's why the prophet Isaiah foretold that we would call him Emmanuel, God with us. So the first answer to our question, what if there was no Christmas? The first answer we have is there would be no God with us. There would be no God with us. One of the things that Jesus did to illustrate his coming to become like one of us is to send out his uh, 70 of his followers. In Luke chapter 10, this is what he does. He sends out 70 followers uh, in pairs, instructing them to bring nothing with them, no money, no bag of clothes, no extra shoes. And they're, they're just to go and eat whatever's put before them, not to demand anything, to drink whatever is given to them, not to demand anything to drink. They're, 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 they're going to be sent out to heal those who are sick and to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. Now, you take all these things. He's saying, don't demand anything. Don't go with these high, high and lofty goals of, of who you might be or who you might be perceived to be. Go and ask for nothing but heal and announce that the kingdom of God is near. Now, we know somebody else who did those things. Jesus did those things. He came not demanding anything. Humbly, he came and became like one of us. He became like one of us. So really what Jesus is doing, he's illustrating Christmas by sending out the 70. He tells his disciples, the one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. That's in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. So in other words, when the disciples, when these followers are sent out, 
To reject them would be the same as rejecting Jesus in the same way that rejecting Jesus is the same as rejecting the Father. And then Jesus says something that really kind of might throw some of us for a loop. He says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now Jesus' mission in becoming a human being, just like one of us, was to seek and save the lost by revealing the nature of God to them, by revealing his character to them. Jesus is telling us here that the only way to know God is to know himself, to know Jesus. There's no other way to know God. You might have this God that, that you think you know, seems all high and mighty. Compare him to Jesus. Do they line up? That's the real test. That's the real test. Anything that we know about God, we only know it because it's revealed in Jesus, by him and through him. There was a time when one of the 12 disciples named Philip is sitting down with Jesus and the other disciples, and he's questioning, or maybe he's just unclear about the identity of Jesus. And so he says to Jesus, Jesus, you know, if you will just reveal the Father, that'll be good enough for me. And Jesus is blown away. He's blown away. He says, Philip, you've been with me for how long? And you don't realize that, that when, as surely as you've seen me, you've seen the Father? How can you have been with me? How can you have walked with me for these last two and a half to three years and not know who I am? How can you ask a question like that? Now, Jesus and the Father aren't the same person, but what Jesus is saying is that they have the same nature. They have the same nature. In fact, they're so similar. Their natures are so similar that if you've seen one, they are the same. If you've seen one, it's like seeing the other. It's just as good as seeing the other. So the second answer that we have to this question, what if there was no Christmas? What if there was no birth to celebrate? Is that we wouldn't have a full knowledge, a full revelation of God. Now, you might say, okay, and and rightfully so, you might say, well, God did reveal his nature uh, and his character in the Old Testament through the prophets, right? Yeah, he he did. He, He did say that. But I'd say that their understanding of God was still limited before Jesus came onto the scene. I mean, you look at what the the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, who were really the academic elite of the first century, look at what they believed about God, uh, and it's clear as day that they really didn't have a good idea of who God was or what his character was. Jesus didn't fit the mold of the God that that they thought God was, and so that's why they rejected Jesus. And so it's clear, it's clear that before Jesus, knowledge about God was much more limited. Listen to what, we, what Jesus goes on to say in the next couple of verses. Luke chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. Luke writes, Turning to the disciples, he, Jesus, said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear but did not hear them. The prophets... The prophets didn't have as deep an understanding of God as the disciples because the disciples were seeing and hearing Jesus. They're having his, his nature revealed to them in a way that the prophets and former kings wished they could have experienced. So without, if, if there was no Christmas, if there was no birth to celebrate, there would be no God with us. And number two, if there's no God with us, 
there's a limited understanding of God. It's hard to even imagine a world with no real understanding, with a very limited understanding of God, but that's what Jesus himself tells us would be the case. A world with no real understanding, with a limited understanding of God, is a spiritually dark, dark world. Listen to how John the Apostle describes Jesus coming into the world. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him, in the Word, the Word is Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And he goes on to say more about Jesus being the light. And this is a theme that John has throughout his book, the theme of light. He goes on to say more about Jesus being the light, writing in verses 9 and 10. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So there's that, that void. There's that vacuum that God created in our hearts that only he can fill, that lack of real understanding of God. And the world did not know him. Why not? Because the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the image here is of spiritual light coming down into and invading the darkness, destroying the darkness. Now, what are some things that you might associate with a term like darkness? Uh, When when I think about darkness, I think about uh, confusion. You know, when the the lights are out and there's absolutely no light, if you've ever been in a cave when they they shut the lights off completely just to show you what absolute dark looks like, it's confusing. You, you don't even want to take a step because you might trip. You, might, you, you don't know what's there. So it, it's confusing. I'd say it's also not safe. The darkness isn't safe. Um, I was raised in, in Las Vegas, as most of you guys know. And uh, in, in Las Vegas 20, 30 years ago, every year people would be killed by, by floods. Every time it would rain, even a little bit, there would be these horrible floods. And you might say, well, how could people in the desert be killed by, by floods? But any time it rained, see, the, the ground was so hard and brittle and dry that it just wouldn't absorb the water. And so to protect against that flooding, Las Vegas eventually built these huge underground water, uh, water tunnels. And 360 days out of the year, they are dry as a bone. And for that reason, there actually exists an entire community of vagrants and criminals that live below the city of Las Vegas, who, who live in these tunnels. They say that in the summertime, when it's you know, 115 degrees above ground, it doesn't even get to 80 degrees below ground. So you know, to an extent, it protects them from, from the elements. It protects them from the heat. But living down there also has some major downsides. And one of those, at the top of the list, one of those things is that criminals know that the police don't go down there. And so criminals will go down there. So there are murderers down there. there you're risking there being a murderer like right down the tunnel from you, a rapist. I mean, who knows? There are all kinds of scary people down there. They go to the dark where they won't be found. I'd say that's also why, why kids are you know, scared of the dark. You know? They don't feel safe. Uh, and finally, I'd say when I think of darkness, I also think of emptiness, a void that, that needs to be filled Listen to what John goes on to say. John chapter 1, verse 14. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. 
Of course, what John's saying here is that salvation is available. It's available to those who will receive the light rather than turning away from it. John's telling us here that salvation is given to those who receive Jesus. So number one, if, if there was no birth to celebrate, there would be no God with us. If there was no God with us, there would be no real knowledge of God. There would be a limited knowledge of God. And number three, with no knowledge of God, there's no salvation. We're just stuck in the darkness. And John goes on to develop the theme of light throughout his book. Uh, for, for, for one example, uh, he tells us about one time when Jesus is at the Festival of Lights, which is Hanukkah, by the way. He's at the Festival of Lights, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is the light. But in other places, for example, on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you, talking to his followers, you are the light of the world. Well, how does that work? Well, it's, it, start with, it starts with Jesus. Just like one candle lighting another, which lights another, which lights another. But it has to start with Jesus, because what do you get if you have two unlit wicks? Nothing. Darkness. Darkness. It has to start with Jesus. One unwit, unlit wick can't give light to another unlit wick. Without him, we'd all be in darkness. Darkness. We'd all be in darkness if he hadn't come. But he came. And he brought light into the world because he is the light, he's the true light. And it's because of him that there's any light at all. It all goes back to him. That's why we celebrate. We celebrate the true light. Now, as we celebrate tonight, first of all, I'd say make sure that you're watching your kids. Second of all, don't, don't run around uh, with, your can, with your candles lit. Um, make sure that you're being, being careful. Just the people on the ends, just turn around to the person behind you. And, or, or if you need to, you can stand up and, and walk over to them and help the person who's, who's behind you and then just go in, in one row and out the other. Now, as we celebrate, our, our candles are a powerful, symbolic image of our mission to, to pass the light on. For some of you, maybe that's the highlight of tonight. I, I know for me, that's, that's one of the highlights. I, I love candlelight services it's one of my favorite things. But what happens next? What happens when you leave tonight? For fire safety and for practical reasons, you're, you're going to blow out your candle before you leave tonight. You're going to extinguish the light. You won't take your candle with you outside the doors of the church. But let me just encourage us to let that not also be symbolic of what happens when people walk outside church doors and they hide their light. They don't let it shine. Let that not be the case with us. What if we take this symbol of our mission so seriously that we're willing to commit to not just celebrate the birth of Christ, but to proclaim it? And not just today and, and tomorrow, but every day. Every day. Wherever we go. Let's commit to doing that.
both individually and collectively, letting our light shine for everyone, remembering some of the most important words I think Jesus ever spoke in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before men. That's the mission. That's the mission right there. Letting the light within us shine wherever we go so that God may be known and God may be glorified. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org. And you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Sick worshippers alive desperate at your feet Jesus love sick worshippers we are loved sick worshippers and our hearts desire will be complete when we see you when we see you when we see you